This is Michael Zuber, and I just wanted to thank you for listening to my One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that I took the time to document the entire process I used to learn my market and actually still use today? I released it as a $199 online course via Teachable, and it is called How to Get Started One Rental at a Time. With that, you get access to my private Facebook group and can join our group mentoring calls every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific. You can find it on my website at onerentalatatime.com. Now on with the show. Hey, everyone. How are you doing today? We are on to topic number two with Jonathan Fomley. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Michael. How are you? I'm doing really, really well. So something I wanted to do with you today, because you are the big multifamily expert on my series. Uh, I've had a couple of residential single family conversations this week, and I wanted to ask you some questions, right? Again, to kind of give you clarity on what we talked about in single family, it's like, hey, what could change in the market that would negatively impact residential? So to give you color there, we talked about lenders getting tighter. There were some changes in lender criteria for investors, which raised rates on, on investment loans versus owner oct. We talked about rates going from 2.5 to 4, right? We did talk about tax changes, all these things, but I wanted to ask you, right, if we talked about 100 units and above, right? Where the big boys play, where you're at. What, what are some things that could change? And we're not calling for the change. We just want to paint a picture of what's possible that would negatively impact multifamily that maybe people aren't thinking about today. Uh, so are you talking more, let me sort of clarify the question. Sure. You're talking about sort of the, in general, what would derail things or what is likely to derail things now or sort of where we stand? No, these are just things out there that maybe the new new person looking at an asset w- wouldn't see. So for example, in single family or, or residential, right, four and below, things we talked about were, um, I think it was Fannie Mae or Freddie issued a, a, a letter recently that said, we're only going to buy 7% investment loans in second homes where they were buying 15. So you're seeing banks create a bigger spread on investment loans, right? They're now over four where owner rocks are two and a half. Uh, we talked about uh, F, uh, financial protection, whatever it is, this other board doing avoidable foreclosure. So the inventory works we were expecting it isn't going to show up, right? We talked mm-hmm. about those those things that, that could change that are surprises. So maybe in your world, it could be, hey, the standard is 70% LTV, but what happens if it goes to 65? Or yeah. what happens if IO loans go away or just just things that maybe the novice doesn't think about that, that could have an impact. All right. Now, thanks for that clarification. So I, I will then address one thing, which uh, I wasn't going to address before, but the, for uh, the biggest and sort of most immediate thing that is a threat to multifamily is a spike in vacancy. Right ah. now that looks like we're probably not going to have that. Uh, but because we sort of made it through without, we made it through COVID without it but really in sort of your run of the mill recession where you don't have the government putting out like massive, massive stimulus checks and stuff like that uh, and imposing forbearance and imposing moratoriums, you're gonna have a rise of, in vacancy. And if you are, you, and it always, the people that get hurt by that are the people who bought at the top and they, they paid top dollar for their properties and they bought them priced to perfection, and then they have a rise in vacancy, which they didn't account for in their underwriting, they may be in a situation where they can't pay their debt. So that is sort of number one. Now, you actually, one thing that's gonna be interesting to see as we now emerge from 
the, all of these restrictions that were imposed under COVID is what is gonna happen on the sea level properties where people either couldn't pay their rent or they gamed the system and didn't mm -hmm. pay their rent. And now they're gonna be subject to foreclosure, I'm uh, sorry, to, to eviction. Right. Uh, a lot of those landlords, you know, basically we've had things where everything's just in a, in a state of stasis, right? Yeah. The landlord, banks can't foreclose on the landlords because they've gotten forbearance, right? The landlords can't evict the tenants because they're subject to a moratorium. You know, you've got, in some of these properties I've looked at and I haven't bought anything because I can't get my head around what they're worth. Um, you've got 25%, you know, bad debt piled up. You wow. know, a quarter of your landlord isn't paying, like, you know, so you're seeing that you're seeing deals with 25% bad debt. Yes. Wow. I, I've seen. So now a lot of landlords I talk to are chomping at the bit to evict. Oh yeah. Right. It's because they believe that, well, they're just going to, it's going to be really easy. They're going to evict all these people and then they're just going to fill it up and they're going to be fine. Problem is every other, all of their competitors are in the same situation. Exactly. They're all going to be evicting 25% of their tenants all at once. All those tenants are now going to find it impossible to rent anywhere because they just had an eviction. And I don't see those properties getting filled up so quickly, right? So um, that's going to be, and we just don't know how this is going to play out yet, right? So, and then, you know, when the eviction moratoriums come off, the forbearance is going to also come off at the same time, those landlords are now also going to have to catch up on the debt, the debt service that they didn't make, right? So it's mm -hmm. going to be a double whammy for some of these people. They're going to have to come up with the money that they didn't pay the banks from potentially three quarters of their rent roll because they've yeah. evicted 25. Now, the, the, the real, what I think a lot of these landlords are going to wind up doing is they're going to have to wind up working with these tenants and not evict them and just, and basically say, you know what? We're just going to wipe the slate clean, start paying me today and, you know, pay me back the best you can. But like, I'm not going to hold my breath because it's, you know, it's those, I think a lot of those people just don't have the money, right? Yeah. Maybe they're going to threaten them with eviction and some of them will pay up. Uh, that's probably the best, best case scenario to get, be able to get some, recover some of the money. But I don't think that they should be expecting that they're going to get most of it. And I don't think they should be expecting that they're going to like turn, they're going to find somehow like, 25% of great new tenants who are in that market, right? Yeah. Who did, who, who were, I don't know, where were they living before? Right. They were home. It's like the, they were the, just the C-class tenants at the other properties, right? So, You're right. Um, I think so, so vacancy is still an issue. So that, that's one thing that can kind of sort of derail your property. Another is, I think the other biggie is interest rates, mm. right? If interest rates rise, that's going to cause cap rates to rise that causes your property to, to reduce its value, right? And now, generally speaking, this is not such a problem when you have long-term debt locked in and you're kind of early in your loan. Mm -hmm. It becomes a problem when uh, you're forced to refinance just at the same time that interest rates are spiking, right? Mm -hmm. And if they go up a couple basis points, you know, or go up a point, Maybe you've had enough principal pay down, you're fine, you refinance at the same rate, you'll, you'll be okay. Um, but if they've, if they've gone up a lot, what'll happen is that 
you're just going to get a lot less proceeds for your on your refinance and and, and people should remember purchase money mortgage you can get 75 percent under some programs you can get 80 percent even refinance you can only get 70 percent so you have to have enough you know uh principal pay down to have to have um made up that difference right hopefully you have hopefully you've had enough you know principal pay down plus you've had rent growth that pushes your NOI up and so maybe you know what you're hoping is that even if you have some interest rate rise which is going to cause cap rate mm-hmm. to rise also that the whole the whole mix will wind up that you're okay but you could imagine a scenario in which somebody took you know got three, four, five years of interest-only debt. There's no principal pay down. Um, they haven't gotten the rent growth that they anticipated. And now they've got to refinance at higher interest rates. Now you're in a situation where you've got to come up potentially with additional capital right. uh, in order to, to refinance your, you know, your debt. So, uh, and if that happens, you're, you know, you got to go to your investors. I mean, if, if you own the property yourself, you got to come up with the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have investors, you got to go to your investors and get it from them. Not not a great situation. Um, yeah. Probably in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to affect a ton of owners, right? But it'll it'll affect some people if that happens. Um, yeah. And, and the higher interest rates rise, the more people it'll affect, the worse it'll be. Yeah. One of the things that I'm still surprised to see, and you're in this a lot more than me. I I probably see one one hundredth of what you see. But I've still seen a couple of deals come by my email box where it looks like they're still using what I'll call bridge debt, right? IO for one, two, or three years. Even today, that just, yeah. I don't, I mean, I haven't even looked at the deal yet, but I've looked at the loan structure and I'm like, God, that just seems like a bad idea. Yeah. I mean, you do, there are people who were buying with bridge, right? Because they couldn't get things financed. Uh, they were planning on doing a, you know, a, rehab anyway so they wanted to be able to refinance quickly so they bought with bridge or with hard money uh and if things don't pan out the way that they hoped you know they're they're in trouble right so they may be trying to sell to somebody who's got deeper pockets who can you know take on this debt or you know refinance it or what have you um but yeah that's it it, and what, what you saw happening over the last few years was uh the growth of, of interest only mm-hmm. um, in basically stabilized deals. Like used, it used to be the case that you would get a year of interest only or maybe two if you were planning on doing a rehab and you wanted to, you know, you knew you were gonna have less revenue because you were gonna be renovating apartments. So you could get a year of interest only to kind of just help you through that period. Mm-hmm. What you saw in recent years though, was that property prices became so inflated that the only way to make them work mm. was to get IO debt. Uh, and, and this is not even on a rehab deal. This is just on like a straight purchase. Wow. Right. So, uh, and you're hoping that you're going to grow your rents enough over that three year period that by the time the full amortization kicked in, right. you'd have enough, you'd have built enough Delta that you can now, you know, mm. pay everybody you promised to pay. So uh, that's kind of that, you know, I always called that, increase in IO, that was like the, the backdoor additional leverage, right? Yeah. The last time around, yeah. you were able to get, you know, you were 75% from Fannie Mae or from whomever, 
then go around to some mes lender and get another, you know, 10 or more, right? And you could leverage things up to like 90% or even more. I remember when I first got into the business, I had these money guys coming to me saying, I can get you 93% leverage. 93? Like, 93% leverage. And I was like, why do I want 93% leverage, right? But they, they, were, that's, they were like, you can get 93% leverage, uh, you know, for your deals. And wow. then we saw what happened when people were handing out 93% leverage. <laughs> and the, the banks put an end to that. Yeah. And they said, you know, we're only going to go to 75%. You can't supplement. We're not allowing you to put MES on, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, but the prices got inflated so much that they, they, the, the lenders stopped being able to lend mm. because, you know, the deals weren't penciling out. So they yeah. started giving people a year of IO, two years of IO, three years of IO, mm. you know, and, and I've heard of even more. Um, wow. Not from, not from like Fannie and Freddie, but I've heard people getting full IO loans, which I find astonishing. I don't know where they get them from. Maybe some local bank somewhere, but wow. uh, you know, it's, uh, that's, that's been, that was the, <laughs> the hidden backdoor 93% leverage. Yeah. So, so lenders, just like in residential and, and we'll call it hundred units and above 10 million above wherever you want to play. They, they're just like residential lenders. They can get super aggressive. IE I call 93% leverage, just like our stupid alt, loans in, in single family. They were just bad loans uh, that ended appropriately. So can lenders get, I mean, have you ever seen lenders get uber, I guess, conservative is the world like word? Yeah. Like they just they they tighten up after. Oh yeah. After the crash, they will, they always do this. Is, so the cycle, the cycle is, you know, when a crash happens, they get very conservative they only lend to the best qualified borrowers and the best deals and everybody else has a real struggle getting their deals financed. Okay. And they, so what happens is then, you know, and they, they ramp up their criteria and make it very hard to, to borrow money. Hmm. Then what happens is when they basically work their way through the, the best deals and they start running out of the best borrowers and the best deals, then they start loosening their criteria because they have to keep on doing business, right? right. Yeah. As things get more expensive, the banks get more aggressive. You know, they start, they're like everybody else. They get caught up in the, in the, the mania. Sure. They think it's going to last forever. Yeah. And it's very easy for them to start loosening their criteria. And as we've seen in this, you know, one of the things that I've seen this time around, there's a lot of people arguing that, oh, the bank's criteria are still so stringent. Therefore, we won't have a recession or we won't have a correction because, well, the banks you know, have made it impossible. And what I find just silly about this is A, that's not true. They have, they have loosened it in other ways, like with IO, right? right? And, uh, and allowed people to bid more and more for deals and just tack on the risk. Right. And also you've got all of these non-bank actors exactly, stepping yeah. in the void, which you didn't, I mean, the, the amount of like hard money, bridge debt, yeah. you know, all this kind of stuff that's out there now is something that's totally new. Right. And that is also, that is making it possible for uh, people to buy deals that the banks won't finance mm. and to pay a lot for them. I yeah. mean, I just, you know, I just looked at a deal the other day, just a small deal I was thinking of doing for myself, uh, 30 units upstate New York. And 
Uh, a really nice market, actually. It's a great, a very affluent market in upstate New York. I really like it. Uh, nice little property. It it's not financeable because it's a mom. It's a mom and pop owner, and they have no financials. Uh, like they have no financials, right? Oh, Jesus. So wow. they have they had like a pro forma, and the broker said, "Well, you can back up everything in the pro forma with evidence," which I think means like receipts, like. Yeah, if you want, they'll give you a pile of receipts. Yeah, here you go. To show, to show that they, this is what they spent. Wow. But they don't have any actual financials. I took it to my bank and the lender was like, you can't finance this, wow. right? You're not going to, there's no financials. We can't, we can't do it. So, but somebody's going to buy, somebody's going to buy that. Oh, yeah. Right. They're going to get a hard money loan from someone mm -hmm. and look, maybe it'll work out. But the thing is, like, the seller already got a very high offer from somebody. And it fell through because it wasn't financeable. But now he's got that number in his mind. Yeah, it's Meanwhile, stuck, anchored. The yeah, the broker told me pretty much everybody's coming out where I came out on the deal, which is a lot less than that. Wow. So, you know, it'll just, I guess eventually he will, either somebody dumb is going to come along and overpay uh, with hard money, or he will get realistic and accept one of those offers mm. around where I was, you know, thinking. But so I want, I want to ask you this question. If, if, if we're on a scale of zero to a hundred, a hundred is banks are lending, or you can get 93% leverage. So that's wide open. And yeah. zero is the tightest you've ever seen. Yeah. Where would you say we are in that spectrum today? We're like in the nineties somewhere. Oh my God. We're in the nineties today. Oh, oh wow. yeah, absolutely. Okay. Oh, I, 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 I thought it was high. I just didn't think it was that high. It was just easy, easy, easy to get financed. Oh, that so like, so in essence, lenders can get tighter, way tighter, is what we're saying. Oh, lenders can get way tighter than that. Wow, you know, and <laughs> oh, but no. I mean, with interest rates as low as they are, yeah. you know, and, I mean, it's crazy if you think about it. Like, interest rates are as low as they are, and they're still going to IO. Now that's to true. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Oh, ouch. And you know, the, the amount of money that's out there looking for multifamily deals is just insane it's just insane and okay. so it is it is uh there's just too much money chasing too few deals and well there we go wow so all right so if you are an owner i mean you if you own the deals now you're like living on easy street right it's you're, it's great um yeah your incentive is your incentive is probably is probably just say hey i'm gonna hold this and see how much higher it's gonna go Right, which just makes it go higher because everyone's whole, there's so little inventory and prices are getting bid up even more. Yeah, I just so ref, I refied my two big apartments or big for me, small for you, yeah. and uh, I, my debt's now under under four percent for for the next seven years. I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm all right, I'm good. <laughs> Listen, I I think I mean I haven't really thought about this before, but I I just just as we talk, I'm wondering if we're going to wind up in a situation in multifamily that's kind of like where the single family market has been for some time which is that inventory is really constrained because people like either they're holding out for better prices because they're seeing prices rise or you know they're thinking well if i sell this what am i going to buy yeah where do i go yeah where do I go? right exactly. and um and that's gonna there's there's not enough liquidity in the market right because there's not enough new supply and it's it's i think it's it's gonna cause the market to like really suffer 
I think you're right. I, I, uh, I, for one, the two apartments I just talked about, we picked up in the, I think 2011 and 12. So in the crash for yeah. amazing prices, we're sitting on, I don't know, conservatively multi seven figures in, in, in growth and we could sell easily, but where would I put the money? Yeah. I'm like, Nope, we'll just keep it. They cash flow like crazy. I'm good. I don't know. What, I don't know what to do. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a problem. Yeah. I mean, it's really, really a problem to have. I mean, this is where I think the low interest rate environment, like people like it because everyone likes paying low interest rates, but the prices rise accordingly. And it, I think it actually is bad for the market. I think like the interest rates need to be at five, six, seven percent for yeah. the market to be healthy. I think you have a lot of malinvestment when money is too cheap. Right. Yeah, it people, just it doesn't stay, right? It's got to go somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, and people invest in really marginal stuff because money <laughs> is cheap, and oh, exactly. you know, yeah, the risk exactly. is lower, right? So, yeah, I don't think it's good for the economy, even though pe like individually people think. Yeah, it feels good in the great. moment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but like it doesn't. If if you, you know, you you can be like, great, I can sell my house, but now I can't find one to another one to live. Exactly. In, yeah. Right? That's exactly what's so, going on. Yeah. Yeah, it's it just makes it. Uh, it locks it up it, the system. Yeah, the system yeah. is kind of frozen up, and hmm. and I interesting. Think we may be entering a similar situation with multifamily, where. Um, and yeah, I like, hadn't thought of that. It, yeah, and so then you bring it to like ten thirty one. I know you wanted to talk about taxes, like sort of what can go wrong with. Yeah, we'll talk about that next. We'll we'll touch on that one. It might be a shorter conversation, but yeah, I think all of these things relate together. It's pretty amazing how multifamily and residential are a lot more similar, even though the numbers are, you know, amazingly much larger, but it's kind of the same trend, same variables, same players, well, just bigger numbers. I think, yeah. Listen, and I think what's happened with multifamily is that the difference between the last crash and this crash, or no, no crash, but the cycle. <laughs> cycle, right, yeah. Right. I mean, there will be a crash at some point, but who knows? I've given up trying to figure out. <laughs> I've given up. Um, <laughs> no, but the, but the thing is, 10 years ago, yeah. When I started this business, there were no real estate podcasts. There was, I mean, I think bigger pockets existed. Yeah, but it, it wasn't. It was it residential. Was like, it was. It was yeah, I was talking about flip, flips and stuff, and it was tiny, tiny website. Yeah. You know, you didn't have, uh, you know, people out there, like, pushing syndications to, you know, regular investors. It just wasn't this huge. Like, retail investors didn't participate in this market very much, mm -hmm. right? There were a few, but they were. These were known. I've said this before. These were known as country club deals. Yes, right? correct. There was a guy in your country club who was doing these deals, and if you didn't know him, you know, you couldn't get into the deal. And the big thing was like, oh, you, you know, you you introduce your buddies to that guy, and then they'd right. be really happy to participate. Now, it's like. You know, you can't swing a stick without hitting a syndicator, yeah, right? You I don't agree. have to know them personally. The law has changed; so you actually don't have to know them personally anymore either, because now wow. you can do a five hundred six C offering to any accredited investor anywhere in the country without ever knowing them. Oh, wow. right. So the market has loosened; the spigot for retail investors has opened up. There's crowdfunding too, which plays a role in this as well, and. That just means that there is more money and more interest in this asset class than there ever has been before. And it, 
it has it has gone from a smaller, more liquid market to a bigger, yeah. but more you know a, a, like more tight market. Yeah, because of the demand, and again, then this issue of like I said, where are you going to go now? I think I don't think people ten years ago really had a, such a great concern. Let's say if they want, we'll talk about ten thirty one in the next section. But if mm -hmm. they wanted to do a ten thirty one exchange, I don't think there was so much like stress about finding a replacement property oh no i've done them and they were i mean right. you always knew the dates were out there but it was a lot less of an issue um, yeah the market was just much more liquid right yeah, so you're right find replacement properties to do you're right now it's just it's because of the intense competition for these assets it makes 1031 very difficult yeah uh, interesting so we'll talk about that next but uh yeah. but, the, but those in terms of what can derail things you know, a recession leading to more vacancy, you know, even a local recession, mm -hmm. uh, that's going to hurt you. Interest rates yeah. will definitely, you know, take the, uh, take the shine off things for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and those are really two, the, the two big ones, right? Okay. I mean, in the recession, you know, the vacancy could come from, you know, you invest in a small market and the major employer closes, exactly. right? So it doesn't even have to be a, a major recession or anything, just be local factors that lead to a spike in vacancy. But sort of the national factors will be, um, you know, rising interest rates, tighter lending standards, things yeah. like that. that will yeah, the, the thing that the, the big aha moment for me in this conversation was that zero to 100 scale. You, sh you said 93. Because when I, I was just thinking, where do I think single family is? Because I lived through 100 or maybe even 110 in the last crisis for, for houses, just wide open, fog of mirror loans. Um, I think in single family today, I want to say it's in the forties. I mean, again, really? I don't, it's, I mean, you've got to have, I mean, there are three and a half percent down loans. There are, you know, zero down, you know, FBA, but you know, like investor loans, they've got to be 25% down. Some are now 30. Uh, we're seeing a spike in interest rates. You got to have reserves, you know, I don't know, maybe it's in the sixties, but it's nowhere close to the nineties. I, that was, uh, that, that was an aha moment for me. So that was fun. So uh, I look forward to topic number three. Thanks, buddy. Yep.